I have a heaping helping of football and the Oscars and weirdly no NBA, but it's all coming up next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed it, we did The Purge and The Rewatchables on Monday night. One of the more fun ones we've done in a while. Go check that one out. Coming up on this podcast, going to be talking Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, quarterbacks, all the way around with Shio Kapadia and John Jastrzemski from The Ringer. And then Sean Fennessy is coming on to do a deep dive on the Oscars. All the storylines we need to know about. Some bets we might want to make. Are there going to be surprises? So that is the second half of this podcast. I am not doing NBA. The discourse with the MVP this week really bummed me out. Uh, I just, I don't know what to say anymore. I've probably written more words about the MVP than anyone ever. I've probably <laughs> talked on podcasts about the MVP more than anyone ever. I've had one since 2007. I wrote a chapter in my book correcting every single MVP injustice through 2010. So it's not like I don't care about this award because I do, but there's a month to go in the season and we have three transcendent guys, Embiid, Giannis, and Joker. It's still wide open. Somebody's going to start to pull away a tiny bit from the other two and it'll become pretty obvious who to vote for. And if it doesn't, that's why we have all these voters. And everyone will vote and somebody will get slightly more votes than somebody else and they'll be the MVP and it'll be fine and we'll all live. But this stuff's supposed to be fun. And this week was not fun. It was toxic. It was terrible. I hated it. And I just, this is not why I became a sports fan. So boycott in the NBA today. We will talk about it on Sunday with Rosillo, I am sure. Coming up, football and our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It is almost 2 o'clock Pacific time. We are on Aaron Rodgers' Jets watch. Shio Kapadia has been covering this whole free agent saga, which is getting really interesting this week. And then 
John Jastrzemski hosts our New York, New York podcast and is monitoring the Rogers thing as well because it's just good content for his pod. Shield, what's a bigger story to you right now, Rogers or Lamar? Oh, it's got to be. I think it's Lamar easily because there are like wide ranging implications on how NFL contracts are handed out. There are all these any team could jump in like we could just, you know, wake up to a text that T-Max is, you know, is meeting with Lamar Jackson on Wednesday. So the Rodgers thing to me at least feels like it's going to happen. We just don't know the exact terms. But at this point, I don't know how you guys feel. I just think it'd be a surprise if he's not starting for the Jets in, in week one of next season. JJ, panic move or smart move for the Jets? I think it's somewhere in between because there are a lot of warning signs. Aaron Rodgers' age, Aaron Rodgers' performance last year, that would have you cautious. But I kind of think, guys, the Jets are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They have to go and get Aaron Rodgers. They whiffed on Zach Wilson. This coach has to get to the playoffs or he's going to get fired. If the Jets don't get to the playoffs, even Joe Douglas with the job he's done in the draft with guys like Gardner and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, he's going to be feeling the heat if they're 7-10 and 10 or they're 8-9 and nine next season. So I didn't look at Derek Carr as this move-the-needle move. I have Jet fans in my life who are like, oh, you got you to gotta sign Carr. You can't let Carr leave the building. Based upon what? Carr stunk last year. Like, what was I missing with that? I watched him on Christmas Eve basically whiff and throw incompletion after incompletion against the Steelers. Rodgers, you got to roll the dice. I I understand it could blow up in their face. I know it could look awful in two or three years, and it would be typical Jets. You got to do it. Whatever it takes, because if you put Rodgers on the Jets and he plays the way he did two years ago, you could tell me that they're a legit contender in the AFC. I couldn't agree more on Carr, and I've been saying that on the podcast. To me, he looked washed last year. He looked like a guy who didn't want to get hit anymore. I was shocked by the Saints. <laughs> I really thought that was uh, just ludicrous, especially for a team that's in so much cap hell anyway. Uh, my take on the Rodgers thing, I, I have two to throw at you guys, and and they're tied together. One is that I think the Jets have had so much damage with all the quarterback situations they've had really their whole history dating back to Joe Willie wins in the Super Bowl over 50 years ago. And then from that moment on, it's just, they're trying to patch that position together through every Jets fan I have through the eighties, through the nineties, they're getting like, you know, the, the Bubby Bristers and the Neil O'Donnell's and the, they're Boomer Esiason and they're always, Brett Favre, they go and get, and then they're spending these high draft picks on people like Sanchez and Zach Wilson, and they could just never get it right. And I see the philosophy of, all right, we have this loaded team that from a win-loss record completely underachieved last year because of the quarterback position. How do we not get Aaron Rodgers? What We'll finally have stability. But Sheila, I think JJ hit the key point. What Rodgers are you getting? You're getting this guy who has acted really erratically on and off the field the last couple of years. And I don't think he played well last year. He was He was above average, but I don't think he was elite. I don't think he was awesome. And to me, he seems like an arrow pointing down guy. What would it do you think it was just the circumstances or do you think age or do you think there's a comeback in him? Yeah, I think Tom Brady ruined sort of what we think about these aging curves. I mean, Rogers turns 40 during next season, 40 years old. And now you're asking him to compete with the Joe Burrows, Josh Allen's Patrick Mahomes of the AFC. I mean, it, it's tough. Like, like JJ said, it's almost like 
what's the ceiling there? I don't see the ceiling uh, of them as a contender. But at the same time, it goes back to the history, Bill, you just mentioned. Like, if they get, if they make the playoffs, Jets fans are going to be thrilled next year. If they make the divisional round, Jets fans are going to be thrilled. So if you're asking me what's the best long-term move for the franchise and like the smart, reasonable football nerd thing to do, it's not to give up draft picks for the right to pay a 39-year-old quarterback $59 million next year with Nathaniel Hackett. That wouldn't be it. But at the same time, if you're a Jets fan and you're like, God, it sucks. Our team was good last year. Our quarterback held us back. We just want to have like a game on, you know, December 29th where we're like, hey, we have a chance to make the playoffs or maybe we're going to make the wild card. Then you can sell me on that. But yeah, it could be a situation. Remember when Antonio Brown went to the Raiders and we're like, wow, Mike Tomlin must have been just like the greatest coach of all time because we didn't know anything that was happening with Antonio Brown. Like there could be a little bit of that situation where you're like, all right, putting Rodgers in a different place in New York with that media market, what's it going to be like? So uh, either way, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be uh, good for JJ and the New York, New York pod once it, uh, once it happens. Yeah, JJ, I look at it. I always trust my gut with this. My gut is like, this is a mistake. But at the same time, as Shield points out, like if it does happen and it seems like it's going to happen, it is one of those I can quickly talk myself into this thing, so especially if you're a Jets fan. You're like, oh, my God, I just had to watch Zach Wilson. I had to watch Mike White with broken ribs <laughs> going out there, getting the shit kicked out of him. Uh, who is that other guy? The only guy all he could do was run. And you could talk yourself into this whole Aaron Rodgers. He just got burned out in Green Bay. Um, the moment they drafted Jordan Love and may, we can rejuvenate him. Um, how many Jets fans in your life will talk themselves into Rodgers immediately? All of them. All, All of them. them. Yeah, I think there was a divide amongst Jeff fans regarding Rodgers and Carr. For some reason, there was a camp of Jeff fans who wanted Derek Carr to be the quarterback because That's he was insane. younger. I, I just yeah, don't I, understand I, that. I'm, I'm right there with you. To me, Did they not no have league pass? Or is it is it fans that didn't have league pass last season? Well, I guess they're prisoners of what they saw two years ago with Pitt Boss as the coach and the Raiders getting to the playoffs and not yeah, the Derek okay. Carr they saw last year. And maybe they were just talking themselves into the age. But I, I think, Bill, Shield, all Jeff fans I know are basically like, let's do this because if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, then what? Jimmy Garoppolo? Baker Mayfield? I don't, don't think know. Jet fans want to go and draft another quarterback. And, and I get it. Listen, plenty of teams have whiffed on quarterbacks. That's true. But they're going to have Zach Wilson PTSD. They're going to have Sam Darnold PTSD. They're going to have Mark Sanchez PTSD. Like, the Jets, I, I think where they're at, the fan base does not want them to go and be in the market, hey, we're drafting another quarterback. Let's see how he plays in his rookie year. And in their defense, listen, they haven't been in the playoffs in over a decade. That is that is an eternity in the NFL. They're basically like, screw it. We got talent. We got a defense. Get a veteran quarterback. And oh, by the way, the veteran quarterback is mediocre for his standard as he was last year. Two years ago, he was the MVP. Was yeah. he not? Well, the Shio, the problem for me is I really like this Jets team. I don't know about the coach, but I thought nucleus talent wise, I was really impressed by them. And, and before Brees Hall went out, 
that definitely was a sliding doors moment for them. If he doesn't get hurt, they might be able to sneak in anyway with as bad as their quarterbacks were. So you look at it on the one hand, you think, wow, if Rodgers can be somewhere between two years ago and last year, this team could be awesome. I guess my question is, I'm making this trade to win the Super Bowl if I'm doing this. And does this either guarantee or, or come close to guaranteeing me doing it? It's a little like the Durant thing. When the Suns gave up all that stuff for Durant, I thought they gave up too much, but I'm also okay with it because you, you've you talked me into like, you can win the title with this trades, which is, should be the goal. When Minnesota did that for Gobert, that was different. It's like, I don't even know what you guys are with this. You give up all that stuff. I don't even know if you're a second round team. So with Rodgers, I guess my question is if they didn't do this and JJ's like, well, what do you do? Do you get a stopgap guy, a mediocre guy, a middle of the road guy? But if you put like a C plus or B minus quarterback on this team, right? Like Minnesota, Kirk Cousins has one year left on his deal. Wait, are they excited about keeping him? I have no idea. But what if they just traded for Kirk Cousins for a year? What if they just signed Jacoby Brissett? And they're like, you know what? We watched those Browns games. You're pretty solid. You weren't great. You weren't bad. Maybe that's all we need. And then we get somebody much cheaper. And then we could put all the money somewhere else and try to get the totality of a football team. I would rather do that if I was a Jets fan. What would you do? Would you go the Rodgers path or the totality path? Yeah, I mean, from a team building perspective, it's the latter. Like you said, if you put Jimmy Garoppolo and let's say you bring back Mike White. I don't know. You're probably not yeah. that excited about it, but that's like half Mike the White. salary. Uh, Jeff yeah, Van so likes you got, Mike White, too. They like yeah, Mike White go. a lot more than they like Zach there you Wilson. Go. Right. There you go. So you got Garoppolo, who his teammates are going to love him. He's going to have a nice supporting cast there with Garrett Wilson in the offensive line. If he gets injured, he's had durability issues. You have Mike White. So you get that at half the price, probably, of what you're going to have to pay Aaron Rodgers. Plus, you keep whatever draft capital. I would say that, Bill just Shoo, mentioned. I think that's I think that's one third of the price. I don't think that's half the price. It could be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Garoppolo is really tough to predict. I mean, you're right. It could be, you know, he could make $14 million a year next year, and it could be a third of the price. And then you have the draft capital where either you can use that or you can trade for some veterans and you can make the playoffs. Like, I disagree that you make this move to get to the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, it would have to be like the 100th percentile outcome, in my opinion, for them to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC with all those other teams uh, and Aaron Rodgers at 39 years old. To me, this is like a really ownership driven. I mean, if you read between the lines, everything with the Jets since last season, like they were embarrassed at how that season played out. So you have like all the makings. You have a coach and a GM who might feel like they're coaching for their jobs. You have an owner and Woody Johnson getting back in it, who wants his team to be relevant, who wants to make the splash, who wants to make the playoffs. Like, I feel like they're going to make this move just to be relevant and get into the playoffs next year. If you're making this move and you feel like you're going to get to the Super Bowl, I mean, in, in my opinion, uh, you are really, you're really mistaken. JJ, uh, Kyle, turn the TikTok camera on. Let's go worst case scenarios for this trade for the Jets. <laughs> a, a very easy franchise to go worst case scenario with, right? So are we sure Robert Sala is a good coach? Let's start there. No. So you're, you're no. moving in on this and it's like, this is the final piece. From what I saw last year, that team was all over the place from a coaching standpoint. Like borderline wasn't sure if he was going to come back. We've seen Rodgers, not exactly like the easiest guy to coach over the years, I would say. Um, not prone to throwing some passive aggressive barbs out there. And now you're going to have him on Pat McAfee and in New York City. 
in the fucking Matrix versus like in the middle of nowhere in Green Bay, three hours from Milwaukee. I my shit detector's going off, JJ. What? Give me some worst case scenarios for you. Um, I think worst case scenario, it has like a Kyrie Irving vibe to it. Ooh. Not to the extreme of what Kyrie did in mm. Brooklyn, because listen, nobody cares about the Nets. And there's a lot more attention on the Jets than there are the Brooklyn Nets. But they do have some weird vibes that they give off. There's no doubt about that. And, and Kyrie obviously takes it to another level. Uh, that's worst case scenario to me. That Rodgers is a quarterback that's going to be 40 years old. His best days maybe are behind him. The attention is too much. The weight doesn't of click the with Salah. Well, that's it. I see. I don't worry as much about Salah because Salah's too nice. That's what I've heard. The biggest complaint about Robert Salah is that he's too freaking nice. That he's trying to be everybody's buddy over there. He's mm. a likable guy. He's a very charismatic guy, but he's just flat out too nice. So I think he will try to do everything to appease Aaron Rodgers, like by, by all means necessary. Can he coach winning football? Well, he put a pretty good defense together last year. I'm going to give him credit for that. I mean, the Jets two years ago were basically at the bottom of every statistical category. And last year, they were basically a top 10 defense. So if I'm going to be fair to Robert Salah, I'll give him that. Time management, I don't know. Leadership, I think he's good with the players. But in game, does he leave a lot to be desired? Did that Detroit game cost him dearly when he had no idea how to manage the clock and use timeouts? Yeah, so... I, I think from Roger's standpoint, the worst case scenario here, despite the diva that he presents at times, it's his play. Because you know at what? Times. Well, listen, my point is you'll deal with him being a diva if he's throwing for 35 touchdowns and he's playing great. If he's playing, you know, at a average level, then it's a lot more problematic. No doubt. All right. Follow up question, JJ. Does he feel like New York's kind of guy? Just the no. city. No, not That's at all. A, but, which is a different argument, but it like, look, man, I, I know New York is my natural arch rival and I've certainly argued with my share of New Yorkers over the years for millions of hours. I do kind of respect what they like and don't like. And Rogers to me does not seem like a New York guy. I just don't see it. It, do, it doesn't fit in with the vibe. He doesn't fit in with the kind of guys who have succeeded in the city over the years. And it would be, I don't want to say it would be an anomaly, but it would be a little different. I'm, I don't even know what the parallels be, would be. It's definitely off the beaten path. Uh, I'm trying to think of one where a guy just didn't seem like a New York guy. And Super came in quirky and had usually success. doesn't work in New York. See, I think you can be quirky, but you have to embrace the quirkiness. You cannot be defiant about the quirkiness. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you embrace it yeah. and, and you roll with it, I, I think New Yorkers will respect that. The one thing with Rodgers, though, it's not like he's going to be living in the West Village. It's not like he's going to be walking around New York City and you're just dealing with all sorts of distractions. The Jets play in Florham Park, New Jersey. He can go and get yeah. his big mansion 10 minutes away from the practice facility and basically be in his little, uh, you know, cabana or whatever he's going to set up, uh, Chester or... Livingston, wherever he wants to live. So he can avoid that. But to your point, that's why I was always skeptical of Aaron Rodgers wanting the Jets. You know, that was always something to me that kind of came to the forefront. I was like, Aaron Rodgers wants to live in New York. Aaron Rodgers wants the attention yeah. that comes with being a well, New York it athlete. It seemed like he had no other options. Um, 
Sheil, you hate yeah, but, New York but, about but, as much as anybody. What, what, what's your take <laughs> on Rogers in New York? I enjoy, I enjoy New York. Take the train up from Philly. I, I feel like, JJ, your read is, is wrong. Aaron Rodgers is going to sit at home in a mansion in suburban New Jersey and not want the attention? Have you watched how this guy has operated <laughs> over the last two years? He literally does a podcast that makes news during the season every single week coming out saying something. I mean, he he has been very so available. Sheila, you think he, he's going to be Fifth Avenue Aaron? You, you think Aaron's going to get I, I the th- spot in the city ab- in Abs, abs. Listen, I don't know where he's going to live because you're right. I've been to the practice facility and that's probably not an easy commute. But when he has some downtime on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday, absolutely. I, I think he I, I think that might be part of what he finds appealing about this, honestly, is the attention aspect. He, it, What we've learned the last few years, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of takes about a lot of things that no one knew existed during like the first whatever 12 years of his career. And he wants to share them with the world. So uh, I think it's going to be entertaining. I don't think he's just going to be you know, have his nose in his uh, playbook in suburban New Jersey, show up at the games, show up at the practice facility. I think he would embrace uh, the entire New York City experience. And uh, for anyone who does football related content like myself, uh, that that's going to be a good thing, I think. Yeah, I think this is the number one story next year if he goes to the Jets from a curiosity standpoint, because we've lost Brady. We might have literally lost Brady. He might, might he might move to Mars. I don't know where with the <laughs> he's adopting direction. cats these days. That's that's the direction Tom Brady's going in. It's all about the, cats. The, yeah, the direction his offseason is going are fair for anything. But if you just talk about like the best stories of next season, this would be the most fascinating to watch unfold. Him in New York, him on a new team. Um, the upside potential of him and also the downside and whether last year was just an aberration or that's the quarterback he's becoming. And in general, like Shale made the key point, Brady and his success in those first two buck seasons completely skewed whatever we thought was possible. And there's a chance Brady's just like LeBron where it's just like, you can't compare him to other players, you know, because before Brady, nobody had done this at that age. I, every single quarterback had tailed off and didn't want to get hit anymore and physically broke down and it just wasn't realistic. I think I, this is, I mean, this might say more about me than anything, but I've always liked Jimmy G and I really love the thought of him in New York city just for a variety of reasons. He was just competent enough to solve the jets competent QB thing. But also like, I just think he would have been a great New York guy. He would have been out. There would have been, there would have been girls. There would just would have been things happening. There would have been stories. He, JJ, don't you feel like Jimmy G is just, he needs at least to do a lap in New York for a season? Broadway Jimmy. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. Courtside at the Nick game. Courtside at Nick's Celtics totally. second round. He's got a couple of babes around him. He's got the SNL cameo, like just all that stuff. I, I can see it. Listen, when I was going through like the possibilities for quarterback with the New York Jets, I took a lot of shit from some Jeff fans in my life when I said, yeah, I'd prefer Jimmy G for you guys as opposed to Derek Carr. They're like, oh, well, Jimmy G doesn't play. Me I too. Think that's, the, that's the big knock on him as a player. Durability, right? Because he, he missed time last year. He missed time the year before that. It seems like it's a common theme throughout his career. Um, He's a solid quarterback. Now, I, I to Shield's point, the AFC is so loaded. I think Jimmy Garoppolo comes to the Jets. They're a playoff team. Like, you could sell me on the Jets going and winning 10 games next year. But if I'm going to fantasize about the Jets winning multiple playoff games, I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo being that guy. And I can see Aaron Rodgers, if he's right, being that guy. 
Sheila, is the Jimmy G, oh, all he does is get hurt, everything. Is that fair or could we say that he had bad luck with the injuries? Uh, I mean, I think the durability thing is fair. It, it's happened, you know, often enough. I, I honestly would put him and Carr kind of in that same category as middle tier quarterback where if the circumstances around them are good, that they can perform. If they're not around them, they're not going to carry you. If, if they're pressured a little bit, it can get really ugly. I mean, what would be funny about the Garoppolo thing is like the Jets teammates, how much they would embrace him after that. I mean, they were not shy oh about voicing their displeasure with Zach Wilson. Like the one thing every time, every year with Garoppolo is like teammates love him. Teammates love him. He doesn't make it uh, about him. So uh, that would be an interesting path that he took. And then the last thing just to, you know, on, on Rogers, I will say this, even last year, the Packers, by the time the end of the year rolled around and it wasn't every game, like they ranked 11th in offensive DVOA efficiency by the time the end of the year rolled around. So I feel like I've been pretty negative about this possibility for the entire segment. But if you're a Jets fan, I mean, you can point to that and say, hey, our receivers are going to be better than what he had last year. We've seen quarterbacks at this stage in their career, Brady, Manning, the all-time greats, go to the new home and have a lot of success, even if it is just for one year. So I think you can talk yourself into some of that stuff. So again, it is high variance. Like there's a scenario where he delivers Jets fans their most fun year of the last like 25 years. Maybe they lose in the divisional round, but every week for those three hours, they're like, man, we were watching Zach Wilson last year and we're watching Aaron Rodgers make these high degree of difficulty throws and Garrett Wilson has like 1,400 yards receiving. So there is that possibility. I wouldn't put my money on that being the outcome, but that that is within the range of like possible outcomes for the Jets if they do land Rodgers. Big winner is Garrett Wilson. He's got to be just yes. checking his phone. He's just like, is this, did it happen yet? Is it? Is it? Please, <laughs> any chance? You know, before we, I want to take a break, but before we do that, just wanted to mention, I think Green Bay has handled this spectacularly bad for a couple years now. I don't understand why they gave him the extension last year. Um, there seems to just be a big disconnect leading back with the Jordan Love pick and all the way through. And and it's interesting to me that they're the only team without an owner and this has been handled badly. And even like, you know, letting the Jets basically negotiate with Rodgers, but unless it hasn't come out yet that they've already agreed to terms, like if I'm the Jets and Rodgers is like, okay, cool, let's do it. Why am I giving up a first round pick for him at that point? Who am I competing against? There's no, how many other teams could even add his salary into their salary cap. It's like, hey, like people are like, oh, he might go to Vegas. And then as Vegas, they, they're decimated. They're not going to be able to fit him in a salary cap. So if I'm the Jets, I, I, I just, I've seen the stuff where it's like, what will be a first rounder and something else? And I'm just dubious. I, with Shia, what have you heard about what the actual price is? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's probably going to be a first rounder and something else. Man, I don't think it's going to be multiple agree with that. first rounds. It's just because the price of quarterbacks, I mean, look at what Russell Wilson got last year. Look at what Carson Wentz got. It's kind of just the way the quarterback market is. And the other thing, Rodgers doesn't have like a no trade clause. He can threaten to retire if you trade him to a team that he doesn't want to go to. But I think you're right about the Packers. I mean, Rodgers took them to the cleaners from a financial perspective. I, I mean, what they was the purpose of that? Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, once he wins the MVP, they thought they were going to move on and now you can't move on and now you have to give the financial apology. So, uh, yeah, I think they're probably just want this to be over with, get some draft compensation, see what Jordan Love does. But uh, from the day they picked Jordan Love, traded up to get Jordan Love to now, um, yeah, they got a couple MVPs from their quarterback, but kind of where it's going to leave them is not in a great place. Yeah, JJ, 
I, I just look back at that a year ago and you had a chance to get out. And if you're going all in with that contract, then that's it. He's retiring as a Packer. So how, how do you get here later? It's not like there are teams, like there are bad owners in this league. Let's be like the Browns owner is probably the biggest clown of all the owners right now. But there's three, four, five really bad owners in the league. Snyder is Snyder. the most reprehensible. Um, but I, I just don't understand how you don't have this shit all figured out when you're giving him that contract. That contract is like, even if they trade him, it's what is it, like a $35, $40 million cap hit just to get rid of him at this point? It just seems like you're you're mutilating your own team. I didn't get it. Well, and think about it. This is the same franchise that had an opportunity maybe to get over the top. They didn't need to make that Jordan Love pick that was full of how many good playmakers. T. Higgins, the list goes on and on that they could have added when they fell short against Tampa, when they fell short against yeah. uh, San Francisco two years ago. And then they say, all right, well, Rogers the MVP. We got to keep him. Denver wants him. We can't let him go to Denver. All right, he's going to retire Packer. And now because the end of the year played out poorly, you got this terrible cap hit. And now you're kind of in no man's land where it's like, look, we drafted Jordan Love. We're not heading in the right direction. We want to see what we have right. before we make a decision on him. That's why you think about that pick. What an absolute disaster it was making that pick. And who knows? Maybe Jordan Love ends up being a great player. But they missed out on the most valuable time to play a young quarterback. It's when they're making no money and you could load up your salary cap with all sorts of needs that you could surround your quarterback, playmakers, defensive players, you name it. Jordan Love's good. Hey, guess what? You got to go pay him in a year or two. That's a dirty little secret. Well, and Shio, the key point there is like they could have had that Denver trade. And they could have, all the stuff that happened in Seattle last year just could have been Denver. If they had just said, fuck it, all right, we're out of the Rodgers business. You take basically that same version of the Wilson trade and you're off and going. I want to take um a quick break and we have to hit this Lamar thing because Shield, JJ's favorite team might be involved. I, I think if Lamar's on the move, uh, you're shaking your head. All right, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. 
file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, so they do the non-exclusive franchise tag for Lamar Jackson, which in my opinion is the we're open for business franchise tag, right? If you just put the franchise tag on them, cool. You're staying here. It would be on this salary. You'll do the holdout and we'll have to argue about it. The non-exclusive is like, we've just put you on eBay. We're just going to see, but we have, we put, we put a bid on it where it's like, it has to be, you have to bid at least this or we get to withdraw, you know, and, and then you're not on eBay anymore. I forget what that's called. Maximum bid, whatever. Um, them doing that makes me think he's not going to be on the team le- next year. So what if you had to say on the Ravens, off the Ravens, what would your pick be? Uh, I I, th- I would lean off the Ravens for, for the reasons you just said. I mean, you make this move and you're saying, all right, you think you're worth a certain number? Go ahead. Any team, can, you can sign a contract with any team and then we'll get the right to match it or not. Now, maybe that's just the Ravens saying, listen, we've been two years at this and we want to, in good faith, allow you to have this opportunity. And if you get it, we'll match it. We want you to be our quarterback. But this isn't like Madden. Like there are relationships, there are feelings involved. I mean, if you're Lamar Jackson and you're saying, all right, this is the route uh, you're going and now I have to explore my market and go that way. So uh, it's tough. I'm not like all in that there's no way he can play for the Ravens again. Because if you've noticed, they've tried to massage this publicly with John Harbaugh's comments and their GM, Eric DaCosta, his comments publicly like, no, Lamar's still our guy. It's a tough negotiation. It takes two to tango, all that stuff. But I just feel like when it gets to this point, assuming, by the way, that we find a team that's going to jump in and say, hey, we want to sign you to the contract you think you, you deserve, which we don't know that for a fact yet. But uh, assuming that happens... We'll see if the Ravens say, all right, we'll go ahead and match. Or if they say, you know what, this has gotten to a bad point. We will take our draft picks. We will move in a different direction. But the fact that it got to this point, I'm leaning a little bit more towards he's not going to be on the Ravens next year. Me too. JJ, you wouldn't give up two first-round picks for him? I don't think the Dolphins financially, number one, can make it work. Number two, they don't have a first-round pick this year because it got taken away in the whole tampering situation with Tom Brady. So the Dolphins don't have. So you'd the have to wait till they'd have to wait till after the draft and then do it, and it would be the and, next. And then the other, and picks. then the other wrinkle you got to throw in here: Baltimore and Miami are in the AFC. Don't you get the sense Baltimore would prefer? Now they may not have the option. They either have to, of course, decide to match, or you know he ends up going elsewhere. Don't you get the sense that they, if they end up moving Lamar Jackson, their preference would be okay? Let's get him out of the conference. Let's see him in. I know Atlanta said they're out. Carolina, whatever the case may be. I I think Lamar would love to go to Miami because he's a Florida guy. 
Remember, he's a Hollywood, Florida guy. He's posted pictures on Twitter and Instagram and him in a Miami Dolphins jersey to troll people from time to time. I, I don't think Lamar yeah. would have a problem going to South Florida. I just don't know from a financial standpoint, from a pick standpoint, it seems, at least for now, Bill, a little clunky. So Carolina would be another one. Carolina basically did what we were saying the Jets were afraid to do last year. They're like, ah, well, you know, we'll get get Mayfield and Sam Darnold's still here and, and we drafted somebody and maybe we'll get lucky with one of these. And then you see what happens. They had the most talented NFC South team and the quarterback killed killed their chances. This year, to me, they're a Lamar possibility. Who else is out there, Shield, that you think would say, fuck it, if the price was two first rounders, whatever? And then I'll go into my theory after after you answer about why I think why I think he's actually gonna leave. Yeah, I, I think the two teams that come to mind, by the way, JJ, I was disappointed. I thought you were gonna get some tingly feelings about Lamar, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike McDaniel drawing up plays for those guys. Man, if I were a Dolphins fan, uh, I would be pretty, pretty excited about that. But I, I understand what you're saying from, from that perspective. Atlanta, I mean, how is Atlanta coming out five minutes after this and saying they're not interested? Are they just going to kick the can down the road for like seven years and win seven games every year? I mean, are you serious uh, with the Falcons? Now, listen, maybe they have an idea that they're going to draft a quarterback or they have another big move. But if they go into week one of next year with like Desmond Ritter or Jacoby Brissett, their fan base should be absolutely irate. I mean, they had a formidable offense with Marcus freaking Mar- Mariota, and now you can plug Lamar Jackson into that offense. Like like JJ said, you're in the NFC. It's winnable. It's gettable. Now is the time to pound. So that's one. But my favorite landing spot for Lamar Jackson is the Detroit Lions. This Ooh, is what you've like been waiting that. for. I like that. This is what you have been waiting for, Detroit. Jared Goff was very good last year. Lions fans, don't get mad at me. He was very good. It was a function, partially, of what was around him. A great play caller, a very good offensive line. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. You have Jamison Williams. By the way, the Lions have two first-round picks. The Lions can trade the 18th pick and next year's pick, give those two up. They still have the number six overall pick to bring Lamar Jackson into the NFC, into the NFC North that no longer has Aaron Rodgers. They are the team. I do not want to read a tweet that says the Detroit Lions are not interested in Lamar Jackson. I want to get to Wednesday, wake up, pull out my phone, and it says the Lions are the first team showing interest in Lamar Jackson. I mean, to me, if I'm a Lions fan, I would be so excited about that possibility. Him and Dan Campbell, that that's my favorite landing spot for Lamar. Shio, that's just great work. Uh, the Panthers <laughs> have the ninth pick in the draft, which might be a little chess piece for them. Here's why I think Lamar's leaving. As you know, I'm I'm a big body language guy. I'm a big read the tea leaves guy. I'm a big something doesn't sniff right guy. Everything that happened the last few weeks with the Ravens, where they didn't know when Lamar was coming back, he wasn't at a couple of the games. In real time as it was happening, it all of it seemed fishy to me. It seemed like there was way more there than this guy's hurt. And, you know, even like there was some whispers about, well, he probably could have played if he had a contract. Like it was just, it was kind of floating in the ether. And it made me think like, that's just the kind of stuff that happens when somebody's about to leave. Like whoever's fault it was, whatever was really going on. It's just sometimes shit like that happens. You don't come back from it. Um, JJ, on your Dolphins, 
So you think Tua is going to be the quarterback next year? Like, we really think Tua is going to play 17 games and some playoff games next year? Well, because hold on, hold on a second. You said, is he going to be the quarterback next year or is he going to play 17 games next year? He's not going to play 17 games. I think. What happens if he know, gets we, another concussion? Like, what? Like, I, like, how many? Give me the number for all of us looking at each other and going, this guy shouldn't play football anymore because. Personally, I'm already there. I don't. I think he should yeah. take a long break before he decides to play again. Well, I get that, but it's not your decision. It's not my decision. It's not Shields' decision. You know, like this is a guy who's got a major. Fu- and, and I understand the risks. Like I, I don't want to be like cruel, and I don't want to diminish that in any way. But he's got either a walk year pending or a fifth year option coming. That's one of the big decisions Miami has to make between now and whenever. I think it's like late April, early May, where they got to decide on the fifth-year option because he could be in a situation like Daniel Jones was in last year with the Giants. It's it's Ooh. make or break time. It's big money time. I'm going to go and get myself $45 million a year and set my family up for generations upon generations upon generations, which is something I think he's dreamed of, obviously. Who wouldn't if you're a quarterback in the NFL? Or he's getting that fifth-year option and he likes playing football. Here's the one thing with the concussions. Everyone knows the Tua situation because we watched that horrific Thursday night game against Cincinnati. He's getting carted off the field and he played the week prior when he probably shouldn't have played the second half against the Buffalo Bills. If he had two or three, Kenny Pickett had two concussions last year. You know, nobody, nobody talks about that. Kenny Pickett had two concussions last year, but came back, played well, finished up strong down the stretch. It's not nearly Did he have two concussions in four days. Well, I, I, Again, I, I understand that. And then he had the one where he played the entire second half on Christmas Day where I, I'm the same jerk. I felt terrible. I'm tweeting to a stole Christmas. Uh, it ruined my right. holiday. Nah, nobody knew. He's a, yeah, exactly. He's playing the entire second half concussed. Look, that's a long winded answer. I have no idea what's going to happen with this concussion stuff. But the fact remains everything that you've heard from the Dolphins, at least for next year. I think the fifth-year option will be rather telling. Two is their starting quarterback next year. I think they got to get a better backup. Teddy Bridgewater stinks. He's done at this point in his career. I want Mike White. I want Taylor Heineke. Give me one of those guys as a Dolphin backup. I like him as a Dolphin backup. He'd be spunky. (laughs) He'd be spunky. Um, Shilak suggested that to me. I wanted Mike White, to be honest. Shil, if I gave you 100 to 1 odds on Tom Brady being the Dolphins quarterback next year, would you take it? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I would take that. I, I don't mind uh, what he tweeted. I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. We know there was... Hold on, let me, let me, would you, 25 yeah. to one? Uh, I mean, it depends, I guess, what I'm putting down. I mean, yeah, if it's like 10 bucks, you could probably get me down pr- pretty low here. If you're asking me for my life savings, then it, it would be uh, a little bit different. But uh, I mean... I don't know. I'm not going to rule it out until I see what happens on week one of the 2023 season. I mean, we we just have to see. We know he's not going to be in the booth this year. We know what happens with these players. All of a sudden, they're spending time with their families, and they're like, "All right, this is kind of cool, but it might not be. I it might not be exactly what I thought uh, I was signing up for." They start seeing uh, players get ready for the season. Their friends are getting ready for the season, and things happen. And listen, I'm a very in- indecisive person. I can't. You ask me where do you want to go to dinner? I can't even make that 
decision. Like somebody else make it for me. So Brady obviously has some indecision about this, which I can relate to. And he might look at it and say, hey, if I'm put in a better situation where my team doesn't have horrible injury luck, yeah, I can play as well as Tua played uh, last year. And let's go ahead and give it one more year. So uh, I'm basically not going to believe it until probably I see him in a, in a Fox booth calling games. I completely agree. And I also think he, out of anyone we've had recently, he has the potential of week 10, somebody's starting QB went down on a team that had a chance to win the Super Bowl. Uh-oh. I, I, what's it? It's like in wrestling. Oh my God, that's Tom Brady's music. <laughs> my yeah. God, here comes Tom Brady. Um, I, to put a button on the Lamar thing, because we got to talk about Danny Dimes really quick. You know, Lamar got hurt the last two years. and. After, I, I just, the, the quarterbacks who rely on their legs, I just really worry about it. I feel the same thing about Danny Dimes. I I don't really totally understand how much is guaranteed in that contract or what the incentives are. But in general, like you start paying the 35, 40, $45 million for these guys that use their legs and shield, you're going to be in this spot with Hertz next year. It just makes me a little nervous because I, I, Michael Vick, there was a moment with him where it just seemed like that guy was going to be the best quarterback of all time. And you put those miles on him, they take some hits, you know, your MCL goes and then I, you got to fix that. Then your calf goes and then you have a shoulder injury. And I, it just, it would worry me to pay for the picks and the big contract for Lamar. And with that said, I love Shields' idea because if anyone could turn it around, it's the Detroit Lions who've had great karma over the last 60 years. They'll be fine. Um, would you would you go all in on Lamar, JJ? Just in general, not even for the Dolphins. I think it depends on the situation. I, I, I think a situation like Detroit where they're so starving for a quarterback, it's an easy sell. Um, I'm yeah. with you though, long-term. Long-term, I am very concerned about the durability and the body type of Lamar Jackson, where it's not that running is a secondary part of his game. It at times can be the most electrifying part of his game. And yeah, history kind of tells us that doesn't necessarily age well. And then you look at the last two years, I, I think there's some pause from the Ravens for that matter. I mean, this is a guy who won an MVP for them, but the last two years when they've needed him the most, he's been unavailable for whatever the reason. So, yeah, I'd have pause long-term. Yeah, there, there's a fearlessness to how he plays when he's really got it going. That is also, like, the thing that worries me the most. It's like it's like John Morant, like, not on-court John Morant, not the off-court stuff that he's having. But some guys are so fearless that you're just like, oh, man. I mean, Hurts, just in one season, Shiel, I feel like he took how many, like, monster hits? And, you know, and it, and it didn't certainly didn't bother him in the Super Bowl, except when... I don't even remember the play where he just dropped the football and the other team scored a touchdown and the whole momentum of the game yeah. changed. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, physically, I don't know if you can do that for 12 years, what he did this year. Yeah, I mean, and the, the body type thing is important. I mean, Hertz is a thicker guy and he he actually does a better job, I think, than most quarterbacks at avoiding those big hits. It's impossible to avoid them completely. My thing with Lamar is like all the criticisms are fair. Durability, viability of a guy who runs that much. But I just look at what teams will do 
to land. A, look at what the Cleveland Brown and you can't talk about Lamar without the Deshaun Watson situation because that is at the heart. Who's the worst exactly Lamar? What is yeah. happening? Who, 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 you know, last year, two dozen allegations of mistreatment of women. Remember, he said he's not. Browns are out. And what did the Browns do? They weren't taking no for an answer. We will guarantee the entire contract and give up all this draft compensation. The Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson, the guy's in his 30s. Is he in decline? Desperation with all these teams to land a quarterback. So my thing is, is like if you're a team that doesn't have an answer, like you're going to, like we talked about with Rodgers, you're going to have to gamble on upside uh, at some point. And I understand the price is going to be steep with the guaranteed money and the draft picks. But at the same time, you have to look at your options are A, B, and C. Which is the option that gives you that upside to compete for a Super Bowl? And I look at Lamar Jackson on a lot of these NFC teams. Uh, we just mentioned Detroit, Atlanta, Carolina, whoever else you want to mention. And think about it. He gets traded there. We're doing our pods in, in August about who's coming out of the NFC. They're in that conversation immediately. And what are your other avenues to get to that point with a guy who's, what, 26 uh, years old? So uh, I think the concerns with Lamar are fair. But at the same time, I think you have to zoom out and look what teams have been willing to do just to land a starting quarterback in recent years to talk about it fairly. Yeah, JJ, I'm split on this because on the one hand, you know, I want Mahomes or Herbert or Burrow. I, I, my team has Mac Jones. I just feel like I'm, you know, bringing a revolver into a machine gun fight. On the other hand, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Shields team just almost won a Super Bowl, the second round pick that nobody even wanted as a starter for the first couple of years he was there. Denver won a Super Bowl with broken down Peyton Manning. Baltimore won a Super Bowl with Flacco. Like this is just in the last 10 years. I, the thing that worries me, and this goes back to the Giants thing, I was the biggest Danny Dimes fan other than JJ because JJ was doing a pod with him every week. But I really respected what he did last year, and I thought his receivers were awful. And, you know, it was clearly destined to end at some point, like I guess it ended where he just got his ass kicked. But I thought he was really good. I just don't, I don't like in the NBA or the NFL paying a lot of money for somebody who's not an elite player. I just, you got to point to me that the time that it's worked ever in either league, in either league, because that's how you end up with where Baltimore ended up with Flacco with that crazy contract when he was making 20 million a year. That's where you get Bradley Beal making 50 million a year for Washington. And, you know, you're just, you're going to go 42 and 40 with him and that's your ceiling. And I look at the Giants and I, I just, I just wouldn't have done it. I, if the price was that high, even if it's, turns out to be 83, 84 million guaranteed for two years is the deal. I just don't think he's worth it. I would rather just try to patch it together over doing that. Where did you stand on the price? Um, I'm glad, number one, you didn't reference the Allen Houston contract. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, they literally had road. to create the amnesty rule for the Allen Houston contract. I thought you were going to go down that road. So thank <laughs> yeah, you Yeah, I should have. Um, I had no problem with what the Giants did because okay. you mentioned the situation. You had some of the worst playmakers in the NFL. You have been a hapless, rudderless ship for the last few years. You finally have some stability at quarterback. And what you're betting on here is that Daniel Jones is going to improve upon what he did last year with better talent around him, with one of the most creative and, to me, one of the best offensive minds in football and Brian Dable coaching him up. And the other thing with this contract, too, if two years from now, Daniel Jones ain't it. You're watching the games and he does not ascend the way you want him to ascend. And maybe we look back on the 2022 season as the best year of Daniel Jones career. 
You can get out from under that contract. So I'm okay with the Giants going in this direction because here's my other question and caveat to you, Bill. What are you doing if you're the Giants if you don't bring Daniel Jones back? What's your move? Well, I guess the question is for what the price of Lamar is, would it have made more sense to give up first round picks for that possible upgrade? But where but, the Giants are at? No. They have too yeah, much work probably to do not, on the right? roster. Yeah. No way. No, look, you saw the gap between the Eagles and the Giants in that playoff game. It was eye opening. I mean, the Eagles, they pounded them. It was like brutal. the game was over in the first five minutes. Shio watches that on a loop. It just on Friday nights, he just watches nice. that game like three, four times Chill, in a I row. Promise. Just... No, it doesn't bother me. You know where my loyalties <laughs> lie in the NFL. It doesn't bother me. All good. Really was great. I mean, the other option was right there for him, I thought, which is this is why the franchise tag like exists. Now, I know that's going to tie up some of your cap, so maybe you can't bring back Saquon Barkley, but you can bring him back on the tag and say, because what you're saying is reasonable, JJ. Like, you could say, all right, he made improvements last year. That was the best version we saw of Daniel Jones. Maybe he will be better next year. It's not guaranteed. Let's buy a year and see what happens for $32.5 million. So I thought that was just staring them in the face where, yeah, but JJ is right. It's not like an albatross where three years from now we're going to be saying they're stuck with Daniel Jones. It really is about two years, $82 million. I would not have done that contract. I would have just said, hey, let's bring him back on the tag. We'll buy a year. We'll see what it looks like next year. And then we can make a decision for him uh, in the long term. Instead, they tied themselves to two years at a higher salary than maybe they needed to. But it, uh, the, the the flip side is it gives them some flexibility to add to the roster with guys like Saquon Barkley. And then some incentives kick in if he does well, I get it. All right, before we go, Sheila, I got to ask, JJ and I lost our Super Bowl pick. You were the Eagles too, right, JJ? I did. And I, I, just, I've I been on a Super recovered. Bowl streak. JJ was also on a Super Bowl streak. I ended up negative on million dollar picks for the year. And as the as the weeks pass, so we are now, I don't know, it's like five weeks since Super Bowl, six weeks since Super Bowl. I feel like the Eagles kind of boned me over. And I feel like they blew the game. And I actually think they might have had a better team. And they left that one on the table. Like, this is how I felt after the Patriots-Giants Super Bowl, the second one, not the first one. I think the Giants legitimately won the first one. The second one, I just looked at that game. And I'm like, God damn, we just blew that game. Like, we should have won the Super like Bowl. Giselle. He sounds like yeah, Giselle. Like even, even the Eagles, the Nick Foles game, like, we never stopped the Eagles the entire game. It's hard to say, oh, we should have won. It's like, well, they scored literally every time they had the ball. It's hard to say. But that second Giants game, like, we fucking had it. Do you feel that way about the Eagles game, Shu? Yeah, I, th I think e it's funny doing like Philly special. I feel like it's harder to get Eagles fans interested in the offseason free agency draft and stuff because I, I still think there is kind of that mourning period just because the years where you have 22 starters healthy in the Super Bowl, I mean, that probably will not happen again in my lifetime. And so you have that by, you know, you mentioned the Jalen Hurts play earlier. Jalen Hurts is other whatever 64 plays. That's as best as he's right. ever played. I mean, like on film, incredible as a thrower, put the team absolutely on his back. Defensively, it was an epically horrible performance. And you can look at it and say, oh, but it's Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I've looked at all the numbers and everything. Even for a Mahomes game, that was like, in the 92nd percentile of all Mahomes games at all time. I mean, he didn't have to throw into a tight window. He had to make a couple plays, but really it was a lot of the Chiefs coaching staff 
pantsing the Eagles coaching staff. When you look at those touchdowns with the most, I mean, you never see guys wide open like that in an NFL game, in a college game, in a high school game. So yeah, and then now they've got a bunch of free agents. They're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts a lot of money. So yeah, I think there's a mourning period right now for Eagles fans where they feel like, oh, you know what? Maybe it's the start of something, but also maybe you let you let a big one slip away. JJ, they didn't tip a pass. I know, I, and, and you Mahomes, know me. Like, Mahomes didn't even need shoulder pads in that game. He should, he should just, he just could have worn like a flag football outfit. What the fuck? <laughs> As the weeks pass, I'm getting madder and madder about it. I feel like that was the right pick. Philly was the right pick in that game. I mean, that's the way I felt. And if you would have told the two of us, Shield, that Jalen Hurts would play the way that he played in that Super Bowl, outside of the gift that he gave Kansas City for a touchdown, I would have said, holy smokes, the Eagles are going to win this game by two scores. I'm going to have to feed up. I'm going to be yeah. cracking a cocktail. I'm going to be celebrating my Super Bowl streak <laughs> continuing. That defensive line that was dominant against San Fran and knocked two quarterbacks out of the game that destroyed Daniel Jones, they were not able to get pressure. You mentioned the coaching mismatch in the game, and it was. Andy Reid's staff, I mean, ran circles around Gannon and the Eagles' defensive coaching staff. And yeah, uh, here's the one... Caveat, you don't know when you're getting back, right? Like the Eagles, yeah. in theory, should be the best team in the NFC next year. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of returning talent. They have a young, emerging quarterback. They got good weapons, but are they going to have the same luck, the same health? Is it going to go exactly? Tough to tough to get back to that point. You never know. We had that with the 96 Patriots. They stuck it in the Super Bowl because Denver got upset by Jacksonville. And it was this team that was kind of a year away from being the team, but they're really good, really young. And all of a sudden we're playing the Packers in the Super Bowl and we're going toe to toe with them. And we score and we're down three and Reggie White's like sucking oxygen on the, on the sideline. And then we kick right down the middle of Desmond Howard, who just completely torches us and the Packers win the Super Bowl and it fucking hurt. But then after you go, all right, Look, we're all set up here. We got a young quarterback. We have all these things. Like, we're good. And then Parcells leaves, and we never got back until all of a sudden, you know, whole new era, Belichick, Brady, the whole thing. It, it's the crucial point is you just never know. Like, OKC in 2012. Oh, man, we gave Miami a great run. We'll be back. And sometimes you don't come back. So with the Philly thing, man, you think back to last season, the NFC could not have been lined up better. It was a fucking catastrophe, right? you completely healthy heading into the yeah. game. And it's just like, and you lose to this Chiefs team that was playing like nine rookies, you know? And yeah. uh, anyway, sorry to bring that up, Shil. Listen, that's okay. We got we got the Sixers, uh, this version of James Harden. They're going to get out of the second round. Uh, I'm feeling good. They're entertaining every night. We got the Phillies starting. They're going to get back. It's a, listen, it's a, it's a good time. I just want teams to uh, teams to entertain me, and that's what they're doing. Titles but are James overrated. Harden's back. Also, we have fast baseball games. I love this. It. Is oh, the, this is the great. single greatest this thing that's amazing. happened to me in 2023. Oh, yeah. Baseball's fun again. This is unbelievable. Baseball. Baseball's back, Let's baby. <laughs> how did we how did this take till 2023? Guy gets the ball back, sets, throws it, gets the ball back, throws it again. It's like, whoa, we did it. Uh, JJ, we're gonna have uh, baseball could be back. Are you ready for I might be doing baseball segments again on the pod. Like this really could be a resurgence. Listen, I mean, New York, New York, and she'll knows this in Philly. Listen, we're gonna have a 
a nice baseball renaissance. You had two New York, although the Yankees had like five guys go down with injuries today. So uh, there's that. Ragone oh, no. and Bader on the IL to start the year. I know most of your well, national audience is captivated by that, but that is true. <laughs> well, Shields team has the Red Sox guy that we stashed for four years who was in the Navy and then they somehow left him unprotected and the Philly took him as a rule five guy and he throws 99. So, I, so that yeah. I have a whole new reason to hate Philly sports this year. This Noah song. Schwarber too. Yeah, you team. really set him up. Oh, the yeah. Schwarber thing. That was, that was easy. <laughs> How'd All you right. let Schwarber go? What a disgrace. Jesus. So, Shil, you're <laughs> updating the 100 free agents on the ringer.com. You're also on the Ringer NFL show. You can hear JJ on... Uh, on the greatest podcast of all time, East Coast Bias on the Ringer Gambling Show, as well as on the New York New York podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. You got it, buddy. Thanks. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Get ready to level up your adventures with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes with all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at nissanusa.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap and Lotion or their Bay Rum Deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. All right, Sean Fantasy is here. We're taping this on a Wednesday. The last few years you've come on and we've done your Oscar picks. You also do this on the Big Picture podcast. So Sorry to the big picture audience. There's some spoiler <laughs> alerts for that episode. Listen but, to both. Why not? Yeah, listen to both. So FanDuel has Oscar's odds, which mm -hmm. I think is super. Thank goodness. Oscar odds or Oscar's odds? Os I say Oscar odds. It's Oscar odds, but yeah. like grammatically, it probably should be yeah. Oscar's These are odds. the odds for the Academy Awards. Biggest surprise from November to now for you, just in what's become the favorite and what's gotten momentum. Is it only one answer? How the hell did everything ever roll at once become the odds on favorite to win everything? I mean, it is like one of the most dominant juggernauts we've had in the last 20 years at the Oscars. So it's, it's remarkable that this has happened. Can we even know what a juggernaut is anymore when they added so many people to the Academy and it seems like there's more randomness and weirdness than ever before? Yes and no. I think because... The, the movie has dominated 
so many of the precursors, the yeah. PGAs, the DGAs, the SAG Awards, the WGAs. It's winning all of the guilds, and it was already a hugely critically acclaimed movie, and it was a movie that did really well at the box office. So it's kind of a perfect storm, I would say, for what the Academy is looking for. You know, Do people over 45 like this movie? I don't think so. Um, not, not to a person. I, I think there is certainly more confusion among older members of the Academy as to how this became the odds-on favorite. Yeah. And if you want to make the case that this movie is vulnerable yeah. on Sunday night, you would say, well, there's a strong contingent still, despite how many new people they've added, of older voters who watch this movie that is very informed by YouTube and the internet and meme culture and genre movies and films not made in the United States and looks at this story and is like, what the hell is this? Yeah, what's happening? <laughs> you mean like how I watched it? I'm old, but like my daughter absolutely loved it. Yeah. I'm not a multiverse guy. This movie was, I respected it. It was, it was really well done. It's very well acted. After I finished, I was like not thinking to myself, this is the one, this is the one that's going to be like Silence of the Lambs for, for, uh, I know it feels going to run. You know, what's crazy about it is the movie was officially released in theaters on the Friday before the Academy Awards last year. So that, it was a late wow. March release. Wasn't that Silence of the Lambs too, where they released it super early? I think, I think it you're was. right. Yeah, I think it was earlier in the year, but that's very unusual. uncommon. Yeah. yeah. But Coda, you know, was a Sundance movie that premiered over the summer last year too. So all this conventional thinking we have about like, put your movie out in November or December and then do the hard awards push. Like all that stuff is falling away now. We don't, we don't even think about the awards like that anymore. Like actually the movie grabbing the consciousness and holding a place there among voters is maybe a benefit for a movie like this or a lot of the a lot of people who love it have loved it hard publicly for a yeah. long time it does feel like it has a chance to last more than just this year because it seems like the people that love it like really really truly love it and will rewatch it and it'll have like a run on cable and the whole and streaming and wherever else and it'll just kind of keep going i don't feel like this is like a green book situation. No, like, oh, no, we got to, or what was that Francis McDormand movie? The three no, billboards. No, Madland. no, the three billboards. Oh yeah. That didn't that, win, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, like these yeah. movies where you're like, eh, will we be talking about this movie two years from now? It's a really interesting question for this one in particular, because for me, there's a movie that is superior to it that I'm, I'm rooting for, which is tar. Like that yeah. is the movie that I think is the best of the nominated films. As you know, I agree. You love tar as well. I also love Top Gun Maverick. I enjoyed Top Gun Maverick more, As you know, more, I agree. more than I enjoyed everything ever all at once. But I liked everything everywhere. And I, I talked about it a lot on the show. And I think even more so than the fact that it's a story about Asian and Asian American identity, the fact that it's, you know, this multiversal thing that you're talking about, the fact that it's a, like a much younger kind of brand of storytelling. The Academy very rarely acknowledges science fiction. Yeah. Like there's just very a small history of pure sci-fi getting recognized. And this is a big sci-fi movie and a, and a kung fu movie, martial arts, and a lot of things that you don't usually see recognized. So in that respect, I think it, it, it will be seen as kind of like a watershed moment. Now, whether or not like it's the movie that ages the best, I think is debatable. Like I think Tar is a movie that's going to last a really long time and that people will return to 10, 20, 30 years from now. I didn't think Tar would win best movie, but I thought Kate Blanchett was as big of a lock as we've ever had for an acting category because she was just so incredible in that movie. And she's the best actress of her generation. I think it's fair to say she took the torch from Streep. Yeah, there's some consensus on that there. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you think like uh, Oscar wins, nominations, body of work. Um, she's just, if, if, if you're going to put a driver in the car, she's probably the driver. Mm -hmm. um, and yet 
she's not the favorite now. And she hasn't really campaigned for it that much. She did a couple talk shows, but I, it's not like she's been out there. And she it seems like she's giving off that air of, I've already won that. I, I'm, I don't want to look desperate. At the same time, that was one of the best actress performances I can remember in the last 30 years, right? Yeah. I don't think that's an over, overstatement. It feels so Oscars, though, that when we look back on her career when it's over, if she has two wins and they're for... And one of them's for as Catherine Hepburn and The Aviator. It's a Catherine Hepburn imitation. Yeah. And it's going to be a Woody Allen movie, Blue Jasmine, who, like, you know, people don't even rewatch Woody Allen movies anymore. Right. And then it won't be a win Why for Why is that, Sean? <laughs> well, Bill. <laughs> Record screech. Uh, <laughs> so it, that, that's just going to seem strange. When we say, like, for 20 years, this was the person who we thought of as the best working actress in, in Hollywood and international movies. And she's not going to have a win for a movie like this. But she she kind of threw it in Michelle Yeoh's direction at times. You know, she really went out of her way at film yeah. festivals in the fall to be like, Michelle Yeoh is one of international cinema's great treasures. She's been amazing for 30 years making movies. And she has. And so there is a little bit of an it's time thing in addition to the fact that I think she's quite good and everything everywhere yeah. at once. Um, and she's another example of a person who is a really physical performer. I mean, she's like a, a martial artist in a lot of her best movies. Yeah. And that's another thing that the Academy usually doesn't recognize as kind of a, a, a See, I like that the greatest. Part. It's cool. Yeah. It's really cool that she she would win for something that reflects that. So I, it is surprising that over time, Blanchett has basically, you know, as she has well, relinquished it and is, Michelle Yeoh has grabbed it. Well, and then in Tar, she's actually conducting and it seems like an elite high-level conductor, which I think, in the showdown against against Michelle Yeoh, that that that's gonna the kung fu versus the conducting. I'm calling that a draw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kate Blanchett is like well known for going way deep inside the characters, you She's know, and building like a whole world our, for them. Our guy DDL, yeah, yeah, or Cruz when he wants to learn how to play <laughs> billiards. Yeah, he's got to throw the rule or book throw out. some yeah. drinks or whatever. <laughs> I'm shocked that she's not going to win. I really think it's amazing. It but you, like you made it. the key point. And we do this a lot when we're doing the rewatchables of like, that should have won. Oh my God, can you believe it? Sometimes you need, we always talked about, do we do this for hottest take? We did it somewhere about whether there should be a five-year grace period before we decide the Oscar. I always thought it was really interesting. I know they'll never do that. But we argue about some of this stuff the same way, like we're in this NBA MVP. Mm -hmm. Horrible debate now that's turned toxic. There's 20 games left. And Just so I'm clear, are... you're voting Jokic because he's white? <laughs> yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> I mean, we got, we all, all the white guys got together. Um, no, and it's, we argue about that and it gets super personal. It does, that doesn't really happen with the Oscars, but a lot of times we do get this wrong. Like we had a huge Cruz Hanks fight yeah. <laughs> on uh, the Catch Me If You Can Rewatchables. And I was saying how Hanks has the two Oscars and he really should have three. Mm -hmm. And you correctly pointed out, well, Cruz should have at least won for Magnolia. Yep. And it was like, ah, oh, shit, that's probably true. Jerry Maguire would have been surprising, I think, if he won, because Cruz still had the baggage of just Cruz being Cruz, you know, for yeah. 15 More years. More movie star than great actor. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think he had the acclaim or respect yet. Mm -hmm. But now, in retrospect, he probably should have beaten Jeffrey Rush and Shine. I mean, he's going to die without an acting Oscar. Like, that's almost certainly going to happen. And that's because crazy. he won't he won't take a chance late in his career. He's yeah. not going to do his verdict. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky with these things, right? Because it's it's never about the actual performance. It's about what was your campaign like. It's mm -hmm. about what does it mean to the story of the Academy Awards. Like with Michelle Yeoh, this is a an Asian actress. Like, yeah, never been recognized in this category and in this way. Yeah. So that for the Academy, it makes it a huge historical moment. And so right. that's working in its favor in addition to the fact that it's a you know movie that people love with a great performance. Like there's all of these other mitigating factors. You know, you said it doesn't really seem that nasty right now, but 
I know you're reading Oscar Wars, um, the Michael Shulman book. And like, you know, that book is all about how nasty it's been for the last seven years. Did you years. finish it yet? No, I haven't finished it. I, just, I started reading it after you told me about it. Um, but like for since the 1930s, it's been sharp elbowed trying to win Oscars. You know, there's, there's well, been, then been a lot of fighting. Harvey took it to 17 other levels. And that's when, that's when it went to really vicious kind of mean-spirited um, underhanded campaigns. Awful, awful swift-boating style stuff against people who, you know, like d- dishonest disinformation about movies that, you know, otherwise did not imagine that they would be examined or projected. And a lot of that stuff is like, uh, like a precursor for where our culture went. You know, like the idea oh, of yeah, news right. and the way that we kind of lie or 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 hold back information to make someone seem worse than they actually are um i'm i'm I, it's not to say that there isn't aggressive campaigning now there is but i am relieved to not be doing now a that's pot moved about to the that nba sort of stuff. yeah the nba has moved to the aggressive <laughs> campaigning i think one of the things that's helped everywhere is it's been the favorite for a while now right oscar's history is you're the favorite okay i'm gonna get my chisel out and start picking you apart yeah People don't want to do that with this movie for a variety of reasons, many of which are very obvious. And we also don't have Harvey Weinstein and people like that. I don't know who this generation's Harvey is, but I just I just think the mentality of doing that stuff is different. If you're going to do that to a movie, I don't think it's this one. We've seen it in the past couple of years, a couple of times. But there yeah. has been, usually with the Oscars, you want to be like the one that's peaking late. You don't want to be the one that from December on, everyone's like, that's the one that's going to win. Usually people pick it apart. But that's what's so crazy about this movie and this run is really no, there's only one movie that that I that, that maybe sort of is mounting a challenge to it. All which, Quiet? All Quiet on the Western Front, which... See, I, so that's my sleeper. If people think if everything doesn't win, it'll be Top Gun. And Top Gun's like 29 to 1 on FanDuel. All Quiet's at 14 to 1 on FanDuel, and it's been between like 8 to 1 and 14 to 1, but I I just imagine the catastrophe that that's going to be if that wins. You were, you were making the case like it's a remake. It's an older person kind of skewing the kind of movie the Oscars used to get behind. And then if everything didn't, won all these other things, but didn't win Best Movie, then All Quiet was the one that won. That would be weird. It's, it would be strange for so many reasons. Those among them. I mean, this is, a, you know, the original uh, adaptation of the novel won Best Picture in 1930. Yeah. So, like, this is, you know, or maybe it might have even been earlier. It might have been 27. Like, this is a, something we, we've already done this, right? We did yeah. this story. Now, the, the, the new film is, is different and the adaptation is different. And it's made by German filmmakers and it's a German novel. And it, it mostly have been American productions of that story. So that's part of the reason why. And that might be why it, it has this kind of, I don't know, dark horse quality to it, which is that the Academy is so international now. Yeah. This is the movie that won at the BAFTAs. This is the only time that Everything Everywhere didn't really win the big prize at all these important precursors. And, you know, to me, it feels like a very, very, very slim possibility that it wins. But if it does win, it's going to be kind of an annoying, unfortunate next 48 hours of discussion about like where Hollywood is and what it wants to reward and whether or not it can, can get away from its own past. It'll be like what happens with the NBA MVP. Yeah. Very similar. Top Gun. That's why I'm voting for Jalen Brunson, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Top Gun. It is like an NBA MVP kind of narrative if Top Gun won. Because there's been MVPs where it's just, I I made, I voted for Shaq in 2005. I didn't have a vote yet, but in my column over the first Steve Nash season. Mm -hmm. And the reason was basically 
there's no better candidate. But really, it's just Shaq's year. Mm-hmm. Shaq went from the Lakers to Miami and, you know, and, and they went up 20 wins and the Lakers went down 20 wins. And it just, it reminded us that this is one of the great basketball players. And it's just, it's his time for one more. And that was the narrative. And that's really the Top Gun narrative mm-hmm. where I don't think anybody thinks it's actually the best movie of the year, but in a lot of ways it was the best, mm-hmm. you know, it brought the most people together to save the movie business as Spielberg said, whether mm-hmm. that's true or not. Um, it had crews brought back this whole era of the movies we grew up with. It played the nostalgia card as well as I think any movie has ever done. Mm-hmm. And it had two of my favorite scenes of the year of all the movies I saw, the Kilmer scene and then uh, and then the scene when when my guy Miles is playing Great Balls of Fire and Cruz kind of sinks. <laughs> like Some of the best acting of his career. It's just great. It's incredibly rewatchable. And if it won, I, I, I wouldn't think it's ridiculous, but I don't think it will. I thought that it had a really strong chance like three months ago when before we started seeing all the serious precursors in guilds because it does give you something that a lot of recent Best Picture winners give you, which is it makes you feel good at the end of it. At the end of it, you're like, God, I love movies. Isn't it so great to go into a movie theater and just have it utterly emotionally satisfying And those experience? kind of movies have won, like Titanic. Yes. I don't know if Titanic was the best movie of 97, but it was the biggest and... It was the most Greatest amazing achievement. achievement. Yeah. yeah. And and oftentimes that is what the Academy Awards is recognizing. Ben Hur winning is it's an amazing yeah. achievement of a movie. Um, I think, you know, there's just a huge complexity with with Tom Cruise. I think there's also a sense that a franchise sequel slash reboot is not really worthy of a prize like that. I do think that's the next domino to fall, like after a kind of multiversal, yeah. um, you know, multiple identity kind of film wins. We're gonna it's we're gonna get to a time where a franchise movie, you know, it's not probably not gonna be Dune Part Two, and obviously the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King did that kind of Godfather too. Um, that kind of Godfather too. But like a superhero movie is probably gonna win something in the next twenty years. Like it's it, it not on my watch. <laughs> but it's like you have to think about as people who are fourteen right now who are gonna be in the academy when they're 34, 20 years from now will have grown up thinking that superhero films and franchise films are movies. They have dominated what a movie is for the last 10, 15 years. I, I say with my kids. So this stuff always has this kind of evolutionary uh, track to it. Top Gun is nostalgia. Top Gun is something from the past that makes us feel good about the way things used to be and who Tom Cruise used to be. And it's exceptionally well-crafted. Totally. It's uh, brilliant. The story moves and the degree of difficulty, I think, was higher than it got credit for, but that wasn't going to win. Banshees, I just think, was too slow, ultimately. I, I, there's a pocket of people that loved it. In a different, weaker year, it would have competed hard. It was a, considered a strong contender again, like in the in the fall. And mm. Martin McDonough, you mentioned three billboards. Martin McDonough has competed before. Yeah, he's really respected by the Academy. Um, it, it's a little quiet as these movies go. You know what? It, it's a movie that got hurt in the screener world. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty easy. Ah, look at my phone. I just got a text. But in a theater, I'm trapped now with these guys, and I'm in. I'm more immersed. Yeah, I saw it on a big screen on a studio lot, and I was like, that was really fucking good. (laughs) Well, that leads me to best actor, where Frazier's is the favorite on Fanduel at least today minus one sixty, and then Austin Butler's Elvis is basically even money, and then Colin Farrell's dropped to eleven and one. And I think Colin Farrell's going to win. And that that's the first odds that I've seen where I'm thinking to myself, because I haven't done anything with the Oscars yet, but that was one where I was like, I actually thought he was the best actor in that category. Thought his performance 
I've always liked Colin Farrell. Obviously, I, I watched Miami Vice the movie once every two weeks. <laughs> so I feel like he was underrated there. Uh, you love the, mojitos. You're a fiend for I mojitos. I love mojitos. I just, the way he runs a speedboat, <laughs> just can't sleep on it. But uh, it's a redemption story. Mm-hmm. It's a really good performance that, that I honestly didn't know he had in him. Yeah. I wasn't sitting around going, wow, I wonder if Colin Farrell is going to win Best Actor. Were you? Did you think he had an in him? Well, he made a big choice about 10 years ago where he stopped worrying as much about being a big leading man in mainstream yeah. movies. And he just started working with Yorgos Lanthimos and Martin McDonough and people like that and focusing more on auteur filmmakers and picking odd projects and pushing himself in movies. And so he's become like legitimately a kind of top 10 actor in Hollywood right now. Just it's so funny because there's this other world where he's just fighting with Gerard Butler to see who's the lead of playing. Yeah. And he and that's kind of where I thought it was going for he him. He would dip back in it. Like he did the Total Recall remake, you know, like yeah. eight or nine years ago. And you'd be like, oh, so you haven't, you're not totally ready to give up on this yet. Yeah. But then he would go make a movie with Sofia Coppola. You know, like he really was trying to, you know, go both ways. I thought he was the best as well. He was my favorite out of this category. Oh, I I didn't realize that was your pick. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to win. Yeah. I, I do think Brendan Fraser is going to win. He just won the SAG award. There is my co-host on The Big Picture, Amanda Dobbins, is a hardcore Austin Butler fan, horned up for Austin Butler, as are many of the uh, ladies in the Academy, you know? Yeah. He's, and he's working very oh, hard yeah. on this campaign. He's doing every show. He's kissing every baby. He's a clearly very charming and talented guy. He even talks like Elvis in real life now, which <laughs> I've, I've seen some of those clips. It's hilarious. He has fully slipped into the Elvis voice. He's really good in that movie. It's just not... Not a good movie. I do not like the movie at all. The movies. Uh, I, I'm not a Baz Luhrmann fan. I thought it was like really, really. Um, I really overdone. respect him. I respect him though. I like yeah. that he exists. I just don't like any of his movies. It's a tall task. I mean, I'm also allergic to the transforms into a musician and win an Academy Award thing. Like, I'm so sick of it. Yeah. Seven out of the last ten Best Actor winners were based on real people. I just, I'm so bored by that. I don't think it's impressive. I, we've talked before, like there should be an entirely separate category that's just performance based on a real person versus something right. like what, what... That was one of the fake categories you yes. want to give up. Like what Colin Farrell does or what Brendan Fraser does, regardless of how you feel about those films, those are inventions. Like those are pure... Gerard Butler and Plain. Same thing. We've okay, never seen that not, guy before. Not eligible to next year. Yeah, what's what's his name? What's the captain's name? He has an incredible name it's in that like, movie. It's like Jimmy Hammer or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'm so glad he's doing his thing. He's Brother. I have season tickets for him now. He has another one coming this summer called Kandahar, where he goes to Afghanistan. Neeson, Neeson was like, I can't really walk anymore. Here's the torch. <laughs> he did pass it off. Butler's like, I've got this. Mark Wahlberg's kind of circling now for it, though. He's got, I think, feel like he's got his fight. He just sold his house. The father's stew thing, I don't think was great for him. I feel like a shooter too might be looming now for him. I just feel like Mark Wahlberg like has too much money. And so when he makes one of those movies, I'm like, is this for your eighth house? Like with Gerard Butler, I'm like, are you living paycheck to paycheck? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wanted to do, introduce a new segment on the big picture (laughs) called career advice, where I just came in for 90 seconds at the end. (laughs) So we'll test it out now. And then you tell me if you're, who are you going to do for your guy? I'm going to do it for my guy, Bernthal. Okay. Um, because I didn't really love the American gigolo choice. Mm-hmm. And in general, I'm just a little worried about some of the choices. As you know, he's my guy. He's, he's returning to portray the Punisher now, which he did yeah. uh, five or six years ago. So no, eh, no, We don't love to see that. No. Taking birth all to be, maybe um, maybe get a burger. Mm-hmm. Go go yeah, to Father's, father's Office. office. Yeah, yeah, great. Father's Office will get a burger. Yeah. Be like, get an IPA. Johnny, let's talk for one minute here. 
just make a movie where you rob a bank <laughs> and you have an ex-wife and you live in a shitty apartment they haven't really decorated uh-huh. and you have to put a crew together including two guys that you were in jail with that you haven't seen in eight years and it's one last score nobody's robbed this bank ever it's never been robbed it's the only bank in LA that's never been robbed before and just put the team together and take the bank down and then try to get out of LA and I know you're probably gonna die at the end of the movie but just fucking do it here's the thing the person that he reminds me of is one of our favorite people, the late, great James Cunn. Very masculine, strong yep. presence in movies, great face. Might might blow up at any time. Could lose his temper any moment, yep. but it also like a vulnerability, right, that makes you get connected to his characters. If he's going to do a bank heist movie, I want it to be even more specific. I want the movie to be Safe Cracker. He's the uh, world's so greatest So it's basically safe Thief, cracker. 2023 Thief. Exactly. Great. It's right there. All right. That's it. That was our that was our career advice audition. <laughs> uh all right. So best actress. Pretty even. Right now, Michelle Yeoh is minus 140 Blanchett's plus 105. I find it impossible to believe Blanchett's not gonna win. It's not like she won't. Like she definitely I, could. I is that one of the 10 best performances of the, of the last 10 years? It's up there. Like it's one of the there. five best? It, you know, it's aided by the fact, obviously she's at the center of the movie, she plays the title character, but it's aided by the fact that it's made by a world-class filmmaker. Like Todd Field, he's only made three movies, all three of those movies okay, nominated Todd. for Oscars. You know, and he's Big old. League Chew. He's Big a, League Chew in three and movies. And he co-created Big League Chew, yeah. He's a legend among legends. But um, she could win. It could happen. Best Supporting Actor, that's done. Kiwi Kwan from Everything in the World wants to win. He's won the only everything. One that- the only one that everybody yeah. that's another good story and you know a guy who was like basically out of the movie business since he went back to going when he was a child actor working with spielberg and indiana jones movies and learned how to become like a uh he worked in stunts and he worked in behind the camera and he went over to china and did work and came back and you know he's like a effervescent dude and people have liked seeing him win supporting actress this I, is a this is a hard one i don't really know this is a hornet's nest category yeah it's Good and come early. It's usually the first category. And you could tell me anyone in the category could win. Right now, Queen Angela Bassett is plus 130. That movie's not very good. I think it's I think it's okay to say. It's okay to admit now we're glad to have another Black Panther movie, but um, it wasn't very good. You know, I, I, I think it was Matt Bellany who made this observation on the town, but the Black Panther Wakanda Forever would have been the first performance Angela Bassett's to win for a Marvel movie um, oh. at an Oscar. And that was touted quite a bit since she won the Golden Globe back in January. There was a lot of talk about how that was a big moment for winning for a Marvel movie. And then I think a lot of voters started to hear that out loud. And they were like, I don't like that idea as much as I like Angela Bassett because there's a lot of resentment about what happened, what's happened to Hollywood in the last 15, 20 years, especially inside the Academy. So she may not be as strong as it seemed like she was six, eight weeks ago. She's great in the movie and it's not she a is. very good movie. I, I, I agree. We've had a lot of situations where somebody was great in a movie and usually the quality of the movie then ended up hurting their candidacy. It's, that's true, but sometimes people win for mediocre movies too. You know, you never really Give know. Give me an example. Um, I mean, Cape Blanchett and the Aviator, you know, like I like that movie, but is that like the greatest Martin Scorsese movie? Yeah, it's fun when he lands on the golf course. <laughs> Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis... Our girl for since forever. This could be, that's a little career achievement. This is where my head's at. I feel like this is where it's going. Because she wanted SAG. And when she wanted SAG, she gave an amazing speech. 
daughter of two famous actors. Yeah, Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh. Grew up in the industry, saw some things. She's been, she's been like... Survivor. And again, another person... Michael Myers tried to kill her a hundred times. she represents a different part of Hollywood that is important. You know, she's been a genre star. I like it too. Plus 165, I like it. Yeah. I think that's a better value. Um... And then best director, the Daniels are minus 1,800, which basically means there's no chance they're not winning. And yet Spielberg at plus 850 with the, let's give them one more. Now they talked, Bellany and Lasker talked about this on the, on the town today about there's plenty of time to give him one more because he's obviously going to keep making movies until he just drops How dead. much more time? I mean, 75, 76? Dude. I know he's making movies, but LeBron movie- can play 25 years. Spielberg can make a movie when he's 90. I mean, fucking Mel Brooks did... History of the world. He's like 120. <laughs> Part two. Yeah, he's 95 years old. <laughs> so after that, Spielberg, what's he going to do? What's he going to be like, all right, I'm good. I'll see you guys later. Like he's going to make movies until he's like senile. I watched The Fablemans the second time. I've got an urge to watch it the third time. I've really started. I can't to, get there. I've started it. to come around on it as being a really great movie. Really? Yeah. I so really, I need to watch I, it again? I think it's really, really sophisticated and really odd and kind of like there's a perverse quality to the movie it's not this kind of like sweet, you know, wide-eyed kids expectation that you have about Spielberg. Now, it is very like self-centered, obviously. It's very like, look what I achieved and accomplished with my career. But the filmmaking is A+. plus. Just like I thought West Side Story, the filmmaking was yeah, A+. Plus. Every movie he makes. Like, it people is, are surprised by that with Spielberg now? It is, but it's, uh, there is a kind of technical wizardry that he shows off in these movies that I don't see in like the BFG or think War Think he's getting house? It's <laughs> I do, yes. I think he's on the LeBron plan. Kale Sonnen? Kale Sonnen accusing Spielberg of help? I think it's I think it's weird that the Daniels just like locked this down. Um, as as much of an achievement as their thing is, them winning Best Picture and Best Screenplay would make a lot of sense to me. But I always thought the co-director thing was a huge negative. It it used to be. That's changed a lot. Yeah. It's changed a lot. All right. So we think What do you well like is there any chance Todd Field sneaks in there? No. Yeah, it's too bad. I, You know what the problem for that movie is from a voting standpoint and from a screener standpoint? It gets better as it goes along. Mm-hmm. And the first like 20, 25 minutes are just slow and they're intentionally slow. It's like a specific choice by him. It's like lulling you he to sleep. It starts that long interview. It's almost like you're watching a podcast. It's like, what is this? And then it goes. And then it's not until she starts going after the student during the, uh, during, in the class. Yeah. That's when it's like, oh, we're doing this. Yeah. And then... Then we're off. And then I think the last hour of that movie is unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. Like from the moment it starts unraveling for her and watching what she does as an actor, I think you can make a case she's the best actor right now. Yeah, I, agree. I totally agree. If, I, they, if our guy DDL is really hung it up, that coward who only goes backwards in time and won't play a character in modern era. I, I, just for the record, I did not call Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> a coward. That was I'm Bill kidding, Simmons. audience. <laughs> I just like, hey, Daniel Day-Lewis, just play a cop. <laughs> Play a divorced dad. Why do you always have to go he back to the 1800s? Those, right? Wasn't Ballad of Jack and Rose? Was that a movie that he did that was like a contemporary movie? But he was kind of a weird guy in that movie. But that was the only time I can remember being like, this is modern times when this is set. No? I don't even remember that movie. Yeah, it was, was a very that? small movie. I think it was written by his wife, Rebecca Miller, I want to say. Oh my God. Yeah. Just by about playing like, uh, I don't know, he could have played Phil Knight in Air. I'd like to see him audition against Berthal for Safecracker. I feel like they can both go. <laughs> Berthal and DDO, but rub a peg. Yeah, so who who has the belt right now? Who's our greatest living actor? Uh, well, we were just talking about this. I mean, there's an interesting thing happening with Jonathan Majors right now. So you, oh. you haven't seen Creed 3 yet. I, I can't wait to talk to you after you've seen it. 
Um, he, you know, he was in the most recent Marvel movie, which everybody shit on and did not great business. But he plays the big villain, Kang. Yeah. And so he's going to be very famous for a long time because he's the big villain in this new part of the story. He was just, he just played, um, you know, the, the heavy in Creed 3. I thought but he was, they, everyone said he's unbelievable. I thought he was remarkable. I thought he was so believable as a boxer. I thought he was a perfect counterpoint to Michael B. Jordan's acting style. And then there's a movie that played at Sundance called Magazine Dreams. It is a very, very flawed movie, but that he is the star of, and he plays an aspiring bodybuilder. And it's like Taxi Driver with bodybuilding. Wow. And he is out of this world. And... So we might have finally, we'd be the hottest take about why don't we have American actors anymore? We might have finally landed the plane. He on might one. be the guy that you were looking for. Early 30s? Yeah, he's early 30s. And I'll be surprised if he's not nominated for an Oscar this time next year for Magazine Dreams. Interesting. All right, majors. We got one. Yeah, we got one. It's like how you said with, uh, who is the, we got Yeah, that was the Whiplash podcast. Yeah, when we did the Whiplash podcast. We got one. Um, okay, so we think the Oscars are going to be compelling. Cruz yeah. will be in the front row. Cruz will present one of the five majors. Do you think he will be in the front row? That was a, something that we were wondering about this week because if he is in the front row, that means the camera's going to be on him like the whole time. It's Kimmel hosting. I, and I, I know, I know, and I know. But that. I mean, like, I, I think Kimmel would make the request and I think Cruz is in the front row okay. and he'll play off Cruz and Cruz will do the overlapping thing <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be a thing. It'll be, it's, it's nice that just for one season, Cruz gets to be the mayor of Hollywood. You know, we've had a couple of good moments him going to the Academy luncheon and Spielberg being like, you save movies. Yeah. You know, him getting nominated for Best Picture. I mean, he produced Top Gun Maverick. All that stuff is fun. I hope he doesn't just like recede back into the darkness and only make Mission Impossible movies. I hope he continues oh, that to be already out happened. front. No. You don't think so? I think he is, his goal, as we've talked about on many rewatchable spots, is his goal is to die doing a stunt on Mission Impossible or whatever movie. So he's just, Raising the bar. It's like watching the ECW wrestlers. He's like fucking New He's Jack. New Jack yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, what if I jumped out of the lights? Yeah. Would yeah. I go through the ring if I land on the guy? Like, that's Cruz now. So he's run out of ways to even feel emotion. Cruz being there is really good for the show. Really good for the telecast. Because yeah. people love that movie. Well, you think he's the greatest actor we've had. You thought he was the goat over Tom Hanks. I actual take you out on a podcast. I that's I didn't say he's the greatest actor. You I said, said you had him over Hanks. I think what I was trying to say was that he was the greatest figure in movies, which I think is different. But we can debate that another time. Well, it's like actor versus movie star. I guess are two different things. And I think that they both have a, a piece of that puzzle. I, I, Redford was a movie star, but I wouldn't say he was an incredible actor. I made this comparison with MBJ and Majors. I was like, Majors is an amazing actor and MBJ is an amazing movie star. And MBJ is a really good actor and Majors yeah. is a really good movie star. So they work well together. The Cruise thing, I think there are some, when he decides he's locked in, like in Magnolia or Eyes Wide Shut or a movie like that, he's 20, really good. 25 years ago. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to act like that anymore. He what just about wants to play he, Tom Cruise? What about when he's watching his dead friend's son play Great Balls of Fire and Pete Maverick Mitchell's getting the water? Fucking amazing going. moment. Yeah, but he's yeah. still Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like Hanks is like I'm gonna. We talked about this on the rewatchables. Hanks. Hanks, like, I'm gonna try a crazy accent for this. Like Hanks. Hanks is at least like taking swings, which I respect. But a lot of the swings have not worked. Which to your case, like his last twenty years, it's been some whiffs. You know who took a lot of swings? Adam Dunn, he struck out a lot too, you know? <laughs> Rob Deere, he took guy. a lot of swings. Uh, I have to ask you though, because I'm, I used to be so obsessed with will, we, will people watch the Oscars? And I kind of gave yeah. up on that last year. Um, 
do you think people are curious about this right now? Like, especially yeah. since everything ever all at once is such a juggernaut. Like, is it going to be a good year for the show? I know Jimmy's yes. hosting and everything, but I'm, cur- I'm genuinely curious about a whether year, it's going to do well. I think a year after the Will Smith slap, I think is a huge mm-hmm. draw for this to mm-hmm. see what, at least what Jimmy does in the first 15 minutes. And I haven't asked him, but there's no way it's not going to come up. You know, and then you have you have some pretty big stars in the audience and some, at least movies that people saw this yeah, year. for sure. I mean, Top Gun is the most popular movie, non-comic book movie in a while. Except for one other movie, Avatar The Way of Water. Right. Which is also nominated. Right. And then uh, I think a lot of people saw every... I, I was surprised by how many people in my life saw Triangle of Sadness and really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you told base. me it has no, cha- no chance of winning because it's too sad and too unhappy, but... Uh, it's not that it has no chance whatsoever. It just... Um, People love that movie, It's though. a really, like, miserable, doom-laden ending about how no matter who gets money and power, they will be corrupted. Like, that's a kind of the opposite of what people in Hollywood want to hear. Mm. <laughs> you know? So I, I'm not surprised it's nominated, though. It won the Palme d'Or at Can- the Cannes Film Festival, and that director is very celebrated, Ruben Ostlin. But to me, it's if it's not everything everyone wants, no matter what it is, if it's not that movie, it's going to be shocking at the end of the show. Not a great movie year, but a super weird and memorable movie year. including ceiling, low floor. And some big swings and misses from some really famous directors, including your guy, although you're in the Babylon Hive. Yeah, Um, he killed it. I went to a screening on Saturday night of the movie at the Arrow in Santa Monica. Sold out. Babylon Hive? People were chanting after the movie. You saw Babylon again? Yeah, I did. It was awesome. How many times have you seen it? Three times. That's fucking insane. It's so I good, couldn't Bill. get through one time. <laughs> I honestly had the time of my life. I thought it was so fun. Your case that it's about how Hollywood has always been this awful is the only compelling case I've heard for that movie. It it would have made it so fun to be nominated with that being the message. But unfortunately, Hollywood was like, we're too smart for that. We're not nominating you for this. It almost seems like he made that movie so that eventually it could play at the New Beverly Cinema with the... 58 people who fucking loved it. I, I talked to him on the podcast and I kind of kept trying to push him that way. I was like, were you trying to make just like a fuck you cult movie? Like, you can tell me it's okay. Like, if you just wanted to make yeah. a movie for like the real weirdos and he wouldn't take the bait, but I, I I think in his heart of hearts, that's what he was doing. His next one will be a very successful, relatively normal movie. I agree. Something more mainstream. Because one too many, you become weird guy. And I, I, I just, love those guys. I though. know you do, but every <laughs> once in a while, weird guy, it's like, you know, one for him, one for us. It can be like three for them, one for us. But yeah. How do you, how do you be Scorsese? I think is the thing. How do you continue to make things that seem really weird and transgressive? But for whatever reason, you build a strong following. Yeah. And people at a certain point just have to call you a genius. Like that's what these guys have to figure out how to do now as they go to the next phase. Yeah. Then Scorsese, like his most fun phase was when he was like, fuck it, and made like The Departed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that whole, ripped off that whole run. We, we might be talking Wasn't about- his best movie phase, but- We could be talking about him this time next year because his big movie is probably premiering this summer. Mm. Killers of the Flower Moon. Can't wait. All right, listen to Sean in the big picture for all the deep dive stuff. Good to have you as always. Thanks, Bill. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to John Jastrzemski, Shioka Padia, and- Sean Fennessy, thanks to Kyle Crane for producing as always. Thanks to Steve Cerruti. And I will see you on this podcast with Priscilla on Sunday night.